Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, the reading from the text today comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 16 through 21. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing, Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise, the word of God. been the question we've been asking over these last six weeks, and maybe it's a question that you have never asked before or thought you could ever ask because you've always been told, or at least you've always assumed, that good Christians don't ask such troublesome questions. Maybe it's a question that you can't imagine ever asking at this point in your life because you have arrived at a place in your faith journey in which you have discovered all the answers and resolved all the paradoxes and connected all the dots and you've finally found contentment and peace with God. Maybe, maybe you're not really sure about why you are a Christian or why anyone would ever want to be one because maybe you've been hurt by people who call themselves Christians 
or you've been disillusioned by God or the church, or maybe you just think Christianity is so hypocritical and so judgmental and so primitive and unbelievable that you can't imagine at all why anybody would want to be one. Maybe you were like the brave one who, at the door after church last Sunday, handed me a little note that said to me, um, you saved the possibility of my faith today. Maybe you are like those three brave women in Denver last weekend who were refused communion because they were wearing rainbow-colored masks when they came to the priest. So maybe you're not alone after all. Maybe you're one of the growing number of people who genuinely long for a kind of Christianity that you can believe in, but maybe you're growing weary in your searching. And so why Christianity? Why Jesus? Why the cross? Why the church? Why the Bible? And today we finish our series with the question, why hope? And it is perhaps one of the most relevant and urgent questions of this entire series because hope seems to be in such short supply these days. For the first time in American history, more than half of U.S. young adults ages 18 to 29 report feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. 51%. More than one quarter, 27% of all Americans today report levels of depression that would typically trigger a referral to have further evaluation. In 2022, just last year, annual deaths due to alcohol, drugs, and suicide reached an all-time high in the United States. More and more people, when you put it all together, more and more people are struggling mightily to get through the wilderness of this life. So why hope? Well, Christianity has a lot to say about hope. In fact, the word itself in some form or other occurs well over 200 times in Hebrew and Christian scripture. But Christianity also has a lot of theological baggage to unpack when it comes to explaining why people should or even could have hope. And historically, much of that baggage has been front-loaded with promises of salvation and heaven and eternal life in the next world, rather than actually offering anything meaningful and tangible to hope for in this life that we're actually living in this real world. And for many Christians, hope is primarily grounded in, in a future with God in heaven. And faith in Jesus Christ has been turned into something like an eternal life insurance policy that guarantees we'll get there. But when so many people are struggling just to get through the wilderness of life, the promise of getting into heaven someday in the next world feels pretty out of touch. And for a lot of people, even rather escapist. When I was in college, a guy from down the hall knocked on my dorm room door, and he showed me this hand-drawn picture of a great chasm between these two steep cliffs. And there was a cross in the middle that bridged uh, that chasm. On one side of the chasm, he said, was me in this world, and on the other side of the chasm was God in heaven. And what keeps me from God in heaven is my sin here on earth and my sin 
here leads to eternal death. The cross leads to eternal life. And would I like to accept Jesus right now so I can walk across that bridge? And I said, wow, man. I I know last night's party got really crazy, but am I not remembering something here? What that hand-drawn picture suggested was that baked into the universe is this natural and timeless separation of the human from the divine, the holy from the unholy, the earthly realm from the heavenly realm, this present life from eternal life. And it implied that God is just too holy for this messy world, and we are just too messy for God's heavenly world, and we must be rescued from this mess to get to God, And we must be rescued from this life experience to experience salvation in the next world. I confess I I did not cross the bridge that day. And I will tell you I still haven't. Why? Because my dorm room visitor that day was wrong. His view of the universe that separates God from humanity, spirit from matter, and divine holiness from human messiness and heaven from earth and hope from reality. It's just not the gospel. In fact, it's not even biblical at all. And neither is that brand of Christianity that says that God wants to rescue us from this messy life and this messy world so we can find salvation in the next. So much of modern day Christianity today is focused on believing and arriving when the ancient tradition really is all about becoming and journeying. And this passage from the book of Isaiah expresses so beautifully this kind of universe that the the Bible gives us. And it's in that universe that we can find hope. Today's scripture is about this oracle sent by the prophet Isaiah to the Jews living in exile in Babylon. The backstory is, of course, Judah has been defeated by the Assyrians. Jerusalem has been been destroyed. The temple leveled, families separated, innocents slaughtered, and the survivors, most of whom are the influencers of society, the poets, the priests, the, the politicians, the artisans, they are carted off to Babylon as captives. And at this point in the story in Isaiah, the Jews have been in exile for about 70 years. Nearly two generations have come and gone. Hope is is, is not there anymore of ever going home, and and faith is hanging by a thread. And if you look at uh, Psalm 139, an exilic psalm, it says, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And it says the Hebrew people hang up their harps on the willows weeping. They assume they will die in Babylon just as their parents died. And what makes it worse is they're sick with regret because they didn't ever have to come to this. Years ago, they refused to listen to the prophet Isaiah who said, if you don't stop taking bribes, if you don't start cheating the poor and the sick, neglecting the orphans and the widows, if you don't stop, you're going to get what's coming to you. And then it was too late. And what they had coming to them actually came to them in the form of the Assyrian army. And what that army brought was death and destruction and defeat and mourning and homelessness and homesickness and hopelessness. 
And so decades later, as we arrive in this text today, this oracle comes to the Hebrews in exile, a message from Isaiah, who is back home in Jerusalem. And it's a word of God that says, do not remember the former things of old, or consider the things of old. In other words, the past is the past, Isaiah tells the exiles. God isn't looking back anymore, neither should you. And so it's a message of great forgiveness. But there's more. God says, I'm about to do a new thing. Do you see it? It's springing up in front of you. In other words, God has this fresh vision for your future. God is offering you some possibilities for you to walk into that future. And God wants you to come home, and it's good news, and it's unexpected news, unimaginable news. And then God tells them how they're going to do it. I will make a way for you in the wilderness. And suddenly this message about homecoming, that they'll be freed from captivity and bondage in Babylon, that they'll be given a chance to to go home to Jerusalem, it suddenly gets very problematic. Because here's this little detail in the plan that God gives them. They must walk through the wilderness on their own two feet. There's no other way. You have to walk it. God will not rescue you from your situation with some supernatural means. There won't be some sweet chariot picking you up and carrying you home. There won't be some magical twinkling of an eye experience in which you wake up in your bed tomorrow and you're back home in Jerusalem to the sound of trumpets blaring. I will make a way for you in the wilderness, it says, but you will do the walking. And this presents a very serious problem. I checked Google Maps this week, I typed in Babylon as my starting point, and then I typed in Jerusalem as my destination. It turns out to be somewhere around 520 miles right through the wilderness. Uh, Google says it'll take me 231 days to walk that, and so I tried Waze. It says 228 hours, but watch out for car on shoulder. It's a long way to walk through the dangerous wilderness. Isaiah says there are wild animals out there, hungry jackals, some hard-hitting ostriches out there. But even these will cooperate, says the oracle. Isaiah says there's no water out there either, just pools of burning sand, but those rivers, those dry riverbeds, will flow again with water. In other words, all of creation is going to cooperate with the plan. But what about the exiles? That's the... The question of the text, will they go? It's a big question because the Jews, as you may know, have a troubled history with wilderness journeys. Generations before, they fled Egypt. They fled Pharaoh and slavery only to get lost in the desert for a hot minute. And out there, they panicked. They complained. They nearly starved to death. They cursed Moses. They worshipped idols. Some of them thought about turning back and going back to Egypt. And so the wilderness is remembered as this place of estrangement, barrenness, loneliness, despair, desolation. And so for the exiles, if there's anything more hopeless than the prospect of wasting away in Babylon, it's the idea, the very thought of walking through the wilderness. And we're no differently. We're no different, are we? We think of the wilderness as spiritual metaphor often for those experiences of abandonment and fear, helplessness, vulnerability. And like the exiles, we, we, we like to be rescued from those moments. It's just natural. 
We want to avoid having to go through the wilderness. We would like to go around it. Uh, because in our minds, we think there is nothing to be hoped for there. But the wilderness, it turns out, is precisely the place where hope is found. It's counterintuitive, but the Bible says all over the Bible that the wilderness is the place where hope is found. The wilderness is that place where bushes burn to reveal new insights. It's where manna rains down from heaven to feed the hungry. It's where the burning pools of sand turn into water for the thirsty. It's where divine messengers attend to the weary and dry bones rattle and hum and come to life again. It's where the still small voice is heard. It's where angels wrestle with you all night long until you finally discover who you really are and who you might become and what you must do next. The wilderness is where you finally run out of answers. It's where you finally get rid of the crutches and the excuses and you stop looking for rescue because you only know now the only way through it is through it. And that you can't see most of the time with any degree of certainty. You have to trust. Why hope? We hope because all of life is wilderness. And the Bible reminds us over and over again that God is in the wilderness making the way with us. I think so many Christians today struggle with this idea of modern Christianity because so much of modern Christianity is hopeless. Let me explain. Too many Christians have traded Christian hope for Christian optimism. And there is a fundamental difference between hope and optimism. Optimism is really a mathematical calculation. It's a concept that, it's a way of seeing life through a lens of probability. Optimism is a gambler's calculation. It looks for certain outcomes based on the odds. For example, a good friend of mine in San Diego, uh, he, he plays in these professional, I don't recommend this, but he plays in this professional jack, blackjack tournaments like the, the big ones on TV. And he's super scary good. I've watched him play and I, it hurts my head sometimes because he seems to know the odds of every hand he gets, everyone. I mean, and, and he always plays that hand according to the odds. He never varies from it. And if he draws a hand with questionable odds, he doesn't hope for the best and pray, he folds. He takes his losses and moves on to the next bet because it's all math to him. Well, a lot of Christians are optimists. There was once a French philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal. You may have heard of him. He was a Christian optimist. He argued that belief in God is a wager. Either God exists or God doesn't. This is Pascal's wager. Maybe you studied this in college. Pascal said the odds of of believing or not believing and being wrong or right, they're about 50-50. And so faced with even odds, he said, we can make our wager of belief on God based on the potential payout or loss associated with believing. So if we bet that God exists and we're right, we stand to gain eternal life. And if we bet that God exists and we're wrong, eh, we've lost a little bit, but nothing significant. Maybe a few hours on Sundays, I don't know. If we bet that God does not exist and God actually does exist, 
we might lose eternity. And if we bet that God does not exist, then it turns out that God really does not exist, then we gain nothing. And so assuming that belief in God is the only condition by which we would inherit eternal life, Pascal would say the gambler's calculation motivated purely by the payout at the end compels us to put our money on God. We have nothing to lose by believing in God and being wrong. but everything to lose if we don't believe. And it turns out God exists. And so much of Christianity today has been turned into a game of Christian blackjack. A gambler's calculation. Believe these doctrines. Say these words. Pray this prayer. Confess those sins. Follow these rules. Join this Jesus team and you'll go to heaven. This isn't Christian hope. It's it's Christian optimism. It's the gambler's calculation. It's betting on the payoff. But hope is different. Hope is the gambler's, not the gambler's calculation. Hope is, it's the wilderness walk from Babylon to Jerusalem. Hope doesn't put its money or its faith in probability or the odds or certainty. It's not motivated by payout, actually. It looks at the wilderness and it, it knows that the odds are unfavorable, maybe, and that doubt could be warranted here, but I'm still going to take the over on God. I want to put my money down on God's loving presence. Maybe you're fans of rhythm and blues or maybe even country western. I think that expresses a lot of hope sometimes. Some of those lyrics that wrestle with, uh, wrestle with the possibility of being wrong, wrestle with the possibility of love and despair and hope and heartbreak and knowing and unknowing. It's, It's B.B. King singing, nobody loves you but your mama, and she might be lying to you too, right? (laughs) That's hope. It's possibility that things may not be going as planned here, but I'm still going to go on. I'm going to make it. Have you ever in your life had to walk through that spiritual journey from Babylon to Jerusalem? Have you ever had to walk blindly, knowing the odds and betting against them. Our text today from Isaiah, it begins with this remembrance of the first time the Hebrew people walked through the wilderness. You've seen the movie. It's the story of the Exodus, when the Hebrew people walked through the Red Sea. And you remember maybe that scene in, in the movie or in the, in, in the story itself, when they reached the shores of the Sea of Reeds, and you probably Remember that moment of, of, of Moses holding his hand above the water and the waters magically splitting the Hebrew people walking through. But some of the ancient rabbis in the Midrashic Hebrew tradition later taught that maybe it wasn't quite that clean and simple. And there's one wonderful rabbinical teaching that imagines that when those Hebrews arrived at the shores of the sea, the waters didn't part at Moses' command after all. What they said was all the leaders and all the, all the tribes, and they all were debating about what to do next. It was mass confusion. Nobody can agree on what they're going to do, what their next move should be, and they're staring at the impassable sea in front of them, and behind them is the approaching Pharaoh's army, and they're trapped, and they're terrified, and they're going to die. And at the height of desperation, 
a certain chieftain from the tribe of Judah steps forward. His name in the legend is Nakshan. And according to the legend, Nakshan is the first to step into the sea and start walking. And everybody else follows behind through the sea. It's a good story, but it's even better with this last detail. According to the ancient rabbis, the sea didn't automatically part when Nakshan stepped into it. He had to keep walking. And it wasn't until the water was up to his nose that the sea finally split. The hope is the the brave one who walks through the wilderness knowing something that the rest of the world doesn't know. Don't you want to be that person? It's the message of Isaiah. God will make a way in the wilderness and you will do the walking. In the walking you will find hope and hope will guide you home. Why hope? Because every one of us in this room knows that all of life is wilderness. This world, this life, your life, our faith, it's all wilderness. And in the wilderness, in the wildness, in the weirdness, in the messiness of our life is where God meets us and makes a way for us if we dare to walk. Today's takeaways, all of life is wilderness. And God is in the wilderness making the way with us. God's way is not rescue from our wildness. It is redemption of our wilderness. And hope is knowing something in the wilderness that the rest of the world just doesn't see. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.